0: Good morning. Let me just get set up here and get these glasses on. As Sam said, it's um, the, two, the two greatest commandments is to love God and love our neighbour as ourself. And sometimes the best way we can love each other is to really help each other with our problems. Because life isn't easy, we all know that. But we really need each other. We need to understand each other's problems so we can really, really help each other. And I think it's an area throughout the world where in Christian circles perhaps we don't do that as well as we might. Um, so today I would just like to discuss one basic topic out of Selwyn Hughes's book, Helping People Through Their Problems. Um, this, this is my copy that's so falling apart now, I've had it probably for 30 years. And when I was doing counselling, I just found that there is so much about counselling. But I found Sylvan Hughes' book so helpful and so easy to easy to work through and as you know he's the author of um, every day with Jesus and was for many many years so and passed away on the 9th of January 2006 so he's been gone for quite a long time but his legacy endures so if you if you go to the bookstore and you want to get this book it's a great book to read helping people through their problems but it's the book that I'll be using throughout um, this morning and also if we continue with this course They also publish it in another topic, how to help a friend. And I reckon this is a much better topic because this one sounds so professional, but actually this is what it's all about, helping a friend. All right, I'll just put these down for a minute. Okay, so developing basic people helping skills, that's what the topic is this morning because there's about 100 to 200 different techniques that a professional counsellor has to learn. But um, most of these can be narrowed down to about 10 basic ones, and these are the ones that I want to share with you this morning. Learning and practising these basic skills, and also relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, can open up a whole new and rewarding personal ministry. What then are the basic skills? a person needs to become an effective people helper. First of all, we need to be a good listener. One of the most powerful ways you can communicate care and concern for a person that you're trying to help is to listen intently and attentively. There's a a doctor you... Uh, Paul Tournier, you might have read in Christian circles, you might have read some of his literature because he's very well known. He's a, a Swiss medical doctor, but he's also a Christian Christian counsel, counsellor. And he says, it is impossible to, to overemphasise the immense need human beings have to be listened to. In most conversations, he says, although there is a good deal of talk there is not real listening. And basically, he says, such conversations are more no more than dialogue with the deaf. And it's not easy to be a good listener. Most people, when you're confronted with a friend who's in, in trouble, you want to talk. You want to offer advice. But how can you truly give good advice unless you've been really listening? We all like to give advice, but sometimes what a person needs most is to be listened to. I've heard it said, that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth, so that we do twice as much listening as we do talking. But good listening takes practice. It's actually a discipline. It doesn't come easily and it doesn't come naturally. And listening means more than just hearing the words. Hearing captures the feelings and the meaning that's underneath those words. Listening is that mental step by which we become more aware of the other person rather than ourselves. Norman H. Wright, not to be confused with N.T. Wright, is another highly respected Christian counsellor and he gives this great definition about listening. He says... Listening is not about thinking what the other person's going to say when you stop talking. (laughs) The Bible says in Proverbs 15, verse 23, that everyone enjoys giving good advice. But then later on in the same chapter, it says a good man thinks before he speaks. So the next time that you see someone with a problem, maybe say to yourself, I'm really going to tune in. To what this person is saying focus on what they're saying and even focus on what they're not saying and remember that listening it doesn't come easy it needs to be developed James 1 verse 19 in the amplified version reads let every man be quick to hear a ready listener slow to speak slow to take events and get angry So our first basic skill in helping people is to be a good listener. Secondly, we need to evaluate a person's level of need. One important way of increasing your ability to help a person in trouble is by learning their level of need. And why is this so important, you may ask? because it determines with what urgency we need to help that person and it helps us to clarify the manner in which we need to proceed. Professor Paul Welter, a Christian counsellor in the USA, he's done all counsellors such a favour because he has categorised human problems into five clearly defined areas. Now these are, firstly, there's a problem, a predicament, a crisis, panic, and shock. So there are the five human problem categories. And in this, a problem he defines in the strict dictionary sense of the word. It's a question or issue which has a solution. Predicament is a question or issue for which there is no easy or satisfactory answer. A crisis is a very large predicament, usually short-term, but requiring immediate and urgent action. And panic is a state of fear in which a person becomes totally disorientated and irrational. And then shock is a dazed or numb state where a person can stay that way for hours or sometimes even a day or so. Let's take an imaginary counselling trip through these levels of need in order so that we can identify them more clearly. Let's, Let's pretend we know Sarah, or we actually did know Sarah. We all knew Sarah. At some stage in our life we knew a girl called Sarah. You've met this young woman before. She comes to live in your area. She telephones you and says, hey, do you know a good medical doctor in our area? So I say, yeah, sure. Dr. Simon James at the Russell Clinic down on Main Road, Blackwood. He's such a kind, good and well-respected doctor. His phone number is 8278-1111. So by doing so and giving her this information, you've solved her problem. That's the end of it, but then, A few weeks later, she telephones again and suggests meeting for coffee at Bracegirdles. She confides in you that she is suffering from a high degree of anxiety. The doctor has prescribed her Valium, but she's opposed to taking drugs of any sort. She doesn't know what to do. So she's moved now to a predicament level. Giving advice which worked at her problem level is not so easy now. In any case, advice is not going to be helpful until she feels that you're not merely concerned about her problem, but her as well. So you listen attentively and let her know you care. Two weeks later, you bump into her in the Woolies car park. Sarah bursts into tears. You ask her how she is, and she confides in you that she's three months pregnant. Her family don't know, and she's so afraid to tell them. She's obviously distressed, apprehensive, and overwrought. So Sarah is in a state of crisis. The most helpful thing you can do in a crisis is just to give your undivided attention So in this case, you could take Sarah for a simple meal or take her to a quiet spot in the park and just sit her down and talk through the issues. So next morning, she phones you to say that she's told her family the news, but their extremely negative reaction has brought her to the point of panic. I'm holding a bottle of sleeping pills and as soon as you get off the phone, I'm going to take them. She hangs up before you get a chance to say anything. Now you start to panic. You hurriedly drive down to Sarah's home to find that although she is not taking the sleeping pills, she obviously is in a state of shock. Her dazed expression tells you she is not able to act for herself, so you act for her. You call for some medical attention and stay with her until the help she needs arrives. So that's a simplistic way of showing you the different things of problem, predicament, crisis, panic and shock. Most of the issues that we deal with from day to day are in the area of problems and predicaments. But by learning to cope with the basic ones as best you can, then you'll get more courage to move on to the ones that are a little bit more challenging. Okay, number three, we need to accept people as they are. One hurdle that a lot of Christians find difficult to overcome when seeking to help a person with a problem is in the area of the ability to accept people just as they are. Sometimes when you listen to a person share a problem, it's so easy to say, how in the world did he get himself into such a mess? Why doesn't she just snap out of that depressed mood? And unless we take the steps to eliminate these condemning attitudes, we will not be able to offer our best. Judgmental thoughts, whether we realise it or not, affect the tone of our voice and the expressions on our face, and that will seriously affect the way that we're able to help the person. We may ask ourselves, does this mean we adopt a non-judgmental attitude to sin when we know it to be present in a person's life? Certainly not, mark. But we must learn to hate the sin without hating the sinner. The most important thing in counselling is relationship. And as we listen to a person's problem in an accepting and non-judgmental atmosphere, a relationship starts to grow. And the issue of sin can be dealt with later and dealt with much more effectively because the person has found in you someone who is compassionate and understanding. But how do we stop ourselves from developing judgmental attitudes? Selwyn Hughes admits that he used to have a big hang-up in this area and he had a mate, a minister, who used to struggle with the same thing. And this friend of Selwyn shared with him how he overcame it. He reached into his desk drawer and took out, pretend my pocket's the desk drawer, he reached into his desk drawer and took out a stone and a nail. He said, I keep these in here for a special reason. That there a stone to remind me of the scripture that says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And the nail is to remind me of what a friend did for me a long time ago on a hill called Calvary. Selwyn says that ever since that time, he says, there but for the grace of God go I. He reasons like this. If I had the same kind of upbringing, developed under the same kind of values, lived through the same experiences as the person before me, then I might have ended up doing exactly the same thing. And who knows, maybe even worse. Our moral standards may prevent us from approving a person's actions or lifestyle, but we should love him as he is. And then we accept him as he is. When we accept him as he is, the love that we have flows out to help him to become the person that he should be. Number four, emphasise with her feelings. John Powell, well known author, in his book Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am, claims that there can be no communication between human beings until they relate to each other on the level of feeling. In other words, you may know a person's thoughts, ideas, values, opinions, judgments. But until you know how the person feels, you're on the doorstep of his house, but you're not sitting in his living room. And this identification with feelings we call empathy. Have you ever tried to escape, to catch escaping gas when you're having a barbie? Try and catch it. You can't. Or put your hand out when you're going down the old Belair Road and you try and grab a handful of fog. That's exactly what it's like. To try and understand a person's damaged emotions if you can't put a label on hurt feelings. When we take the time to identify people's feelings and say, I imagine that made you feel pretty frustrated, or I can see how you felt a little fear in that situation, it enables the person with a problem to feel a little bit more understood. And when you help a person understand his feelings better, he understands himself better and he understands you better. So next, when next you're confronted with someone who is emotionally hurt, you could say to yourself, well, is this frustration, disappointment, anger, resentment, anxiety, rejection, and so on? And you draw those feelings out from the person and reflect them back to him. It will never fail to help your friend friend feel understood. Fifth, be careful what you say and how you say it. The time comes when you're expected to say something. Firstly, let's address what we shouldn't say. Don't say, well, I suppose all of us at one time or another go through similar experiences. This kind of... response, because it doesn't take the person seriously and it's no more than a meaningless cliche, effectively just shuts off the communication. Then again, don't say, cheer up. What you need is to put the truth of Romans 8.28 into operation in your life and begin to praise the Lord for your problems. It's certainly true that praising the Lord brings great deliverance, but before we hammer home that truth, there are so many other issues that have to be cleared up. Selwyn says that this is why there are so many in the church where problems remained unresolved. They hear people say, Christians shouldn't have problems. If we praise the Lord, they'll go away. They reason to themselves, I'm not supposed to have problems, so I'll bury them and drive them underground. But problems that are buried don't stay buried. They continue to work at unconscious levels and problems are never buried dead, they're always buried alive. Jesus always allowed people to express their negative emotions. He never reprimanded them. He just was quite happy to listen to people share their hurt feelings. Another remark to avoid is, well, I hope things go better for you from now on. I'm sure they will. This, again, shows no real interest in the person. Well, what do we say? How do we respond properly to a sermon, to a person's problem or predicament? Here's some simple guidelines. Firstly, reflect a genuine interest and concern. The book of Proverbs says, "'Oil and perfume rejoice the heart.'" And so does the sweetness of a friend's counsel that comes from the heart. Show real concern for the person, not merely the problem. You can say something like, I'm sorry to see how this problem has hurt you. Looks like you've been having a pretty tough time. And then just pause. Also... It's, it's important to reflect back to the person a summary of the problem as you see it. You might say, let me reflect to you what I'm hearing you say so that there can be no possibility that I've misunderstood what you're saying. In doing this, you're making it clear that the person, to the person that you really want to understand his problem. And it also helps you to check to see if you really understood what he was saying. Now, here's an interesting one. Don't give advice. Isn't that what we all think we, we do? Give advice. Don't give advice. You help the person think through the issues. You might have a clear solution to the person's problem. But remember, if you solve the person's problem, they're going to be back again to help you solve their, their next problem. So how, do you, how can you do this? Well, here's a way. You can toss in a few questions and say, how do you think this problem can be resolved? What have been your, your thoughts about this issue? Have you thought about any options? Does the Bible have anything to say about this? So pointed questions such as these can challenge a person's thinking and just send him in the direction in the way he should go. So a good counsellor does himself out of a job. He helps the person think through the issues by presenting them in such a way that the person ultimately answers his own questions. I know it's not as easy as it sounds, but give it a try. Now, number six. Distinguish between causes and symptoms. Unless you understand the difference between causes and symptoms, you cannot expect to bring more than just a limited help to a person. Behaviour, such as losing one's temper, flying off the handle, throwing objects across the room or similar attitudes or behaviour, are symptoms but they're not causes. And the causes, like the root of a tree, they go really far down. So when you seek to help someone with any kind of problem, don't make the mistake of focusing on the symptoms. Focusing on the behaviour rather than on focusing on the causes. This is a bit hard to get hold of. So get, let me give you an illustration from my own life because it's much easier if you do it from your own life than making up a hypothetical one. Um, about 30 years ago, um, when I was getting gender pregnancy support on the road and we were trying to work a constitution... Um, yeah, constitutional whatever and um, trying to work out just the way we should go. We had the opportunity of having live with us a pastor and his wife who were pro-life pastors from America. And we had a quite a big house with a big granny flat in the backyard so we, we said okay for the next year while you're here you can have this free of charge. And so they came to live with us. And it was my job to provide a meal for them every night unless they went out and had a speaking engagement. And um, they were the most beautiful people. It was such a heart for God and a heart for the unborn. And um, the wife, she didn't have as much to do as the husband and she got severely depressed during that time. She had beautiful daughters and grandchildren and she missed them so much. So I was, I was trying to help her and look after her. I keep cooking the meals, even though I don't cook very well. My husband will tell you that. Um, he's a good cook, though. Um, and also, you know, just worried about Genesis. What, how are we going to do this? And, and doing my assignments at table at the same time, they'd have deadlines, they'd have to go in. And um, it just got pretty tough. And then one one day, it was only about a month before they left, I was in the kitchen with my three children. It was a long time ago because my son was about 12 and he's now nearly 45. And I got hold of the sugar bowl and I just threw it so hard against the tiles and the sugar went everywhere, the china went everywhere, my children were upset, I was upset, and I couldn't understand why did I do this. So I talked to a friend and she said, Willie, this this isn't a good way to behave. What about the next time you feel like doing that, just get up, go for a walk around the block straight away so you can't do anything. And she had a whole host of issues, uh, things that she thought could help the issue. But what she didn't realise and what I didn't realise until they were gone for about a month or so was that I was exhausted. I was exhausted trying to encourage her. I was the lady. I was exhausted from cooking all the time. And the worst thing that used to upset me, and this is really silly, but um, they bought this coffee from America. And so in the morning, they'd come from their granny flat and go into our kitchen, and they'd start to brew this coffee. And then the guy had this aftershave lotion that was so strong. So the coffee and the aftershave lotion would mix in the morning and go up to the stairs and I'd wake up to that every single morning for 352 days. And it it was just too much. So throwing that object was not a cause. It was the symptom. And this is what happens in so many lives and people. You're just hearing what I'm saying, but everybody has that kind of thing happen to them where suddenly they have these symptoms but we need to just dig a dip, bit deeper and, and find out, well, what's the cause? And you'll find a lot of people with addictions, that's exactly what that's about. That's not the cause, that's just a symptom. All right, number seven, keeping confidences. Can you keep a confidence when someone shares with you a personal problem? The scripture says, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing hidden. Another verse from the same book says, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, associate not with him who talks too freely. What is told to you in confidence should be kept in confidence, and all personal information must be guarded as a sacred trust. Number eight, we're getting there. A wise use of questions and a mistake many people make when attempting to help a person with problems is just to ask too many questions. If you ask a person too many questions, he's just going to conclude that a counselling session consists of you asking questions, him answering it, and when it's all over, you're going to come up with a solution. That just puts too much pressure on the counsellor. So, Dr Gary Collins, you've probably all heard of him, a great great counsellor. He's devised some guidelines in this matter and he suggests, firstly, to answer open-ended questions. You probably all know what they are. These are questions that you can't simply answer with a yes or a no. For example, if you say, do you feel your parents had a part in the problem? They might reply yes, which reveals very little information, and it stops the conversation. A better way is to ask What are some of the ways in which you feel your parents have influenced you? Questions that can be answered with a single word, turn turn the interview into a question and answer time. Similarly, avoid either or questions. These are questions that have two alternatives, like do you want to be married or do you want to be single? The person may give his preference and then the conversation stops. It's better to ask indirect questions. Direct questions are straight inquiries and indirect questions, a bit sneaky, inquire but don't seem to do so. How does it feel to have your marriage breakup is too direct. Put it this way, I wonder how it feels to have one's marriage breakup. The latter helps the person to feel that he's not being quizzed. Avoid a series of questions. Too many questions, one after the other, is extremely threatening. And ask why, sparingly. Why is a useful word to get information, but it carries a connotation that is threatening. In school, at work and home, it's often someone says, why did you do that? So the word why, therefore, has a bit of a negative ring. It has, if you have to use that word, do it in a, in a soft, gentle voice, in a warm, understanding tone. Number nine, nearly there. Watch your body language. There's a Dr. Marabian, he wrote a book called The Silent Messages, and he discusses the importance of nonverbal behaviour in human relationships. And um, his research into this subject covers about three topics, where it's the actual words, the tone of the voice, and the non-verbal behaviour, for example, your facial expressions, and how you're sitting, and what your appearance is. And this doctor claims that the actual words that we use only take up about 7% of the communication process. 38% is taken up with the tone of your voice, and then the last part is 55% is Non-verbal language, the look in your eyes, the expression on your face, or just the way we sit. If we're trying to communicate effectively with those we're trying to help, we've got to realise the, the real power of that non-verbal language. So when attempting to help a person, you don't sit with your legs and arms crossed because that means you're de- just being defensive. You lean towards the person when you talk and that's a sign of interest and involvement. Number 10. As much as we would like to help everybody that comes our way, it just isn't possible. Now and again you're going to meet people with problems that are just way beyond your capacity to be able to help. And if you don't recognise this and you strive to help everyone who has a problem, you're the one that's going to be needing the help. Dr Gary Collins says that one of the most significant ways in which we can help people is to refer them to someone more equipped and better able to help them than ourselves. To do this is not an admission of failure, it's mature recognition that none of us can help everybody. And whenever you feel that the problem you are facing in your friend's life is out Outside the limits of your insider experience, just refer him on to someone who's better able to help him or her. He won't feel rejected. And when you do hand him over to someone else, just reassure him that you'll continue to pray for him and that you're willing to have a cup of coffee and just catch up with him. And that's so freeing. That's the biggest issue I, I had when I first started counselling was I was so scared that if someone came with a problem and they were so needy that I wouldn't have an answer for them, that I just wouldn't be able to solve it. And, you know, it's such a relief when you just say, OK, God has given us a task, we do our very best, we love the person as much as we can, but then if we can't do it, we just let it go. We just we just send to someone who can help. So that's, that's one of the topics of this book, this, the 10 basic skills of helping people. But in the whole book, there are so many other things that you probably find very, very helpful. For instance, what do we need to know about people? There's so many things that would be helpful to know. And then there's a strategy for helping people through their problems. How do we use scripture in people helping? What are the dangers in people helping? How do we really help a person face a crisis? And then we need to understand that the defense mechanisms that people have, the great cover-up, it's called. So anyway, if, um, if you feel like you might like to do some more of those topics, feel free to chat to myself or Sam. And um, you know, if you do get a chance to come alongside people, And help them with their problems. It's such a blessing to them. People really want to be heard. They need to be heard. They need to be encouraged. They need to see a different perspective. And in that way, you'll help them to grow. Thank you.
1: Wow. Wow. Uh, Who here feels like they learnt something new this morning that they didn't know before. Yeah, who here feels better equipped to even just help a family member or a friend? Yeah, who here wants more? <laughs> Absolutely, really encourage you to contact Willie or, or myself, um, yeah, to really engage more in in this area of, of helping people. Uh, one thing that really stood out to me was the, the difference between causes and symptoms, um, starting to think about some of the behaviours that I see in my life <laughs> that perhaps I'm not happy with and starting to ask the question, oh, I've, I'm often focusing on the behaviour, but what is actually causing that? What, what, is, what is deeper? What is behind that behaviour that might be outworking itself in the symptom? Um, We're going to close this morning by uh, singing a song that speaks of God being with us in every season and uh, whatever we're going through. Um, And it might be that, as Willie shared this morning, it might have brought up something in your life. Uh, Perhaps like me, you started to think, what are the deep issues that I'm dealing with, perhaps from my past or fears of the future? Um, And I really encourage you, we often... um, at the end of our services, have a chance of of ministry where the prayer team can get alongside and and pray for you. And perhaps this morning particularly, uh, God's starting to do something in your life and and making you aware of a particular need. It'd be great for you, as we sing this song, to just simply come down and just start sharing uh, what's happening in your life uh, with the prayer team. And it will be anonymous and they'll be able to pray for you and just perhaps start that journey of, of healing. So let's stand together now. Um, and before we before we sing, let's just let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for for Willie's heart to share her gift with us. And Lord, how uh, the need for one another is just so important in a real community. And Lord, we just pray that uh, the knowledge and the, the information that we've gained this morning, that you would take... And that you would use to help grow us, not only individually, but as a church that is looking to uh, outreach and look beyond ourselves into the community where there is so much hurt and so much pain. And so, Lord, we just pray that ourselves would would first be healed and that we would take that knowledge uh, beyond these walls and beyond this community and that we would be, yeah, a real community that just longs to see people uh, just touched by your love and that we would be used uh, in this way to bring about healing and freedom for the captives so pray your, your blessing on us now as we sing and Lord as we sing I just pray that if there's anyone here who just really is in real need Lord that you would just allow them the freedom to just come and share and that um Those that would get alongside them would take the words that Willie has just shared and just put them into action and begin that process. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.